Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com and by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. I am thrilled to be joined today here in the studio by Harry Legg, a longtime colleague and friend. We've worked on another number of projects together, a widely known voice artist and uh, voiceover talent and martial arts teacher and student. And I'm thrilled to have you here today, Harry. Welcome to East Main's podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's awesome to be here and to do this with you. <laughs> so glad you came. Um, so there's a lot of very interesting things to talk about in sort of the two areas of your life. You know, we have your work in audio, work in radio, and we also have your experience in martial arts and Tai Chi, both equally fascinating. Let's start with your work in the voice artistry business, the voice artist industry. Could you just start at the beginning? How did you get your start in the business? I, if I'm correct, it's in radio. Yeah, I began on the radio side. It all began in early grade school, actually. I fell in love with the radio, fifth or sixth grade. Used to call the DJs on the request line all the time and, and bug them. <laughs> well, what was it that got to you, that spoke to you? I mean, what, are we talking music? Is this, uh, yeah, describe that. It was both, although it was more being behind the mic and entertaining people. Back in the 70s and 80s when I was in school, personalities were larger than life. Not that we don't have some now, but it was different back then. Your average DJ, people knew who they were, and they were making appearances all over, and it was a different time. And, of course, I love Top 40 music. That was my passion. But I had discovered in grade school that I had a knack for speaking, you know, they go down the row and each kid gets to read a paragraph. And I always kind of stuck out. Um, and then I was in school plays and things of that sort. So that was kind of a, a natural. But the radio just really attracted me. The presentation. I liked the big, larger-than-life sound. The station at the time in Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up, was WGCL. And they had these cool sweepers, you know, the music giant WGCL. You know, And I'm like, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> so I would just call the DJs all the time and get to know them. They put me on the air on the phone. Hey, you want to make a request? Who's on the line? You know, it was the coolest thing to... You'll be on the radio, even on the phone. But you were um, a grade school. You were a kid. I was, in, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So eventually, I asked one of the DJs, could I see the station? And he said, well, sure. Come on down. He talked to me <laughs> enough. Dad, oh, my gosh. Can you take me to the station? And then we find out where it is, and it's in downtown Cleveland, across from the Greyhound bus station in a kind of, at the time, pretty nasty neighborhood. <laughs> but uh, it, it worked out to where literally... Almost every other weekend, my parents were just dropping me off at the station for a few hours, hanging with one of the DJs, because I got to know most of them. And they'd all taken me under their wings, so I'd hang out with them and watch them on the air. Once in a while, they'd let me push a button, which is the coolest thing, sure. to hit the ID, and then the next song, whoa, I'm controlling the station. But then they'd give me a stack of 45s and reel-to-reel -reel tape, put me in the recording studio, which in radio stations they call the production studio, and I would just practice recording myself talking 
taking over the intros of records as if I was on the air. And how and old I'm are you here? This is amazing. Fifth, sixth grade. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. And it continued all through high school. Then I got an internship. I kept hanging at that station all through high school. And then I got an internship at the NPR affiliate in Cleveland. Hmm. And it was brand new from scratch. It did not exist. So somehow someone got a license, they got the funding, the grants, and it was like the Rolls Royce of equipment. Oh my goodness, because it was all brand new. And public broadcasting frequently, because of the grants and stuff, they can afford to get awesome facilities. So here I am, a kid in high school, and I remember the general manager who was very intimidating, sitting there looking down at me in the office going, so tell me why I should trust a high school student with my brand new $30,000 console. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, well, because I totally respect equipment and this is my dream. To, I would, the last thing I would do is, okay, all right. And so I actually got hired. As a high school kid, I'm running the control board on wow. weekend overnights. And then when they weren't running syndicated NPR programming, they were playing jazz. And it was free-form programming. And so they taught me how to pick the nice selection from standards to fusion to vocals to big band and, and balance it out and go ahead and fill in for the DJ that's on the air from 7 to midnight when he's off tonight. Which is programming, I mean, right? So you, yeah. they taught you programming. Yes, yes. This, so hold on, slow down. This uh, is, wow, this is amazing amount of stuff. And, and frankly, I didn't know anything about this in your background. It's oh, really okay. interesting. So... Let's go back to you sitting in that row at the classroom and you sort of stood out. Let me shine a light on that. Was that that you had like natural cadence or that was it even a physicality? Was it that you were projecting when you were reading? Like, what was that? I have to thank my parents. My mom in particular was really good I walked into kindergarten spelling psychiatrist in Mississippi ah. and having really good verbal skills right. thanks to my parents really doing that for me. And then you pair on top of that, God gave me a gift of, uh, you know, one of those announcer type voices, which we'll talk about later that you want to lose at some point in time or learn to be natural with. But nonetheless, so I always did project. They gave me self-confidence. Right. So I wasn't one of those kids that was afraid to speak up and read in front of others. Which is common. Yeah. In fact, in not even just kids. I mean, adults, it's one of the largest fears in public adults. Yeah, yeah, public speaking. Well, that's really interesting. So you sort of both a combination of education, you know, and support from your family, but also natural ability. You know, you had that in your toolkit and that connected to... I'll use the word resonated, right? So here it is. You're hearing this stuff coming off the radio, and it's resonating with you, yeah. right? Amazing. So those moments of resonating, those moments are a theme here in our podcast. Oh, okay. You know, and it's something I'm interested in where people find those pathways. So that's fascinating. So, and this, look, I mean, fifth or sixth grade, you're 10 or 11 years old, maybe? Yeah, like 10. About, yeah. So fast forward. So now you're talking about being a high school student. You, have, you literally have, say, six, seven years of professional radio experience, even if it's, hey, kid, go in the back room and practice with these tapes, right? But still, you're in a professional environment. There's mentoring going on. Oh, yeah. And here you are at this new NPR affiliate. So that alone is fascinating to me because you're 16, 17 years old, and you have more experience than literally anyone your age because of that happenstance, that pathway that you took. Yes. The second follow-up on this. So this question of you coming out of this disc jockey-centric 
pop music or, you know, uh, if it's Cleveland, maybe it was rock. What uh, well, music was? It, there's all formats, you know, in yeah. each market. So it was a top 40 station that I fell in love with. Right on. So top 40 and you're in there. But now you transition to NPR. <laughs> Can you speak to how those stations were different? Whew. It's like night and day. Yeah. Well, skip um, the equipment because we get that. Oh, right. right. Yeah. No, the, the delivery, yeah. the mindset, you know, NPR. Tell me more about Very educational, yeah. very proper as it would be. Uh, top 40, especially back then, was anything but proper. You would purposely use slang on the air. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean swear words, but I mean, you, if I wanted to say ain't, you know, ain't gonna happen, right. you wouldn't do that on an NPR station. Okay. So there was that. At the NPR station, I also learned a whole lot about news, because they did local news. Sure. So I learned how to write intros and outros to story, how to card up. They had the cartridges that had the drops on them now versus nowadays it's in a computer. So if you're reading a news story, hey, the president, blah, 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 said this today. They hit the button, the cart plays, you hear the president. They come after it and say, and he plans on doing this next Thursday. We'll have more details. So I learned how to do the, they call those actualities on a cart. I learned to do that, writing the intros and outros. I also learned the delivery because being a kid, you've got a lot of energy. And a top 40 station, it's uh, 98.5 WGCL. We're doing 10 songs in a row. And it's that hype thing, and you're talking sure. over the song. But there at the NPR station, ooh, it was almost whispering, this is Cleveland Public Radio, jazz for the North Coast, and this is how we talk. And I had to learn to do that. <laughs> dial it back. <laughs> Way wow, dial it wow, back, wow, yeah. Wow. So that was very interesting to have two radical ends of the spectrum. I also have to say, just going back for a moment to my education and my support in school, when I was in high school, I took debate. But I had a really good debate teacher who recognized what I wanted to do and what my strengths and weaknesses were. And rather than put me through debate class, I never actually was in a debate, even though I was in debate class, because instead he said, I'm going to do something very special with you every day. And it was the first class in the morning, 8.30 a.m. And as a teenager, you're not awake then. But anyway, but that was phenomenal training. Every day, he put me in a separate office down the hall from the classroom with one of those old Wolin Sack reel-to-reel machines. And he gave me inspirational scripts to read and to record myself. Every day, my class was recording myself reading these scripts. And he would play some of them back in classes later in the day. He would listen to them. He would critique them. So I got used to hearing my own voice, having to perform at 8.30 in the morning every day on tape. It was amazing. I can't thank him enough to this day. How did that happen? That's a very laser-focused thing to do for you, Harry. So he recognized that. How did that happen? Between eighth grade and going to high school that summer, I have an uncle in Tennessee who he was a police officer, still is, I believe. And they know everyone down there. Everyone knows everyone. It was a small town. Okay. And he knew the general manager of this small AM country radio station. And every summer, my family and I would go visit my cousins, aunts, and uncles that lived in a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we'd spend a week or two. Well, I show up with a cassette tape of myself that I made at the Top 40 station in their production studio just to play for them all. Hey, here, listen to what I'm doing. Sure. And he says, oh, I know the general manager of this radio station. Give me that cassette. I'll play it for him. So, So he does, and the general manager's first response was, well, that's nice, Danny, but yeah, so? He goes, well, guess how old he is. I don't know. 
He's 14. The guy, he said the guy's jaw dropped. He goes, I need to meet that kid. Bring him in. And they put me on the air there. So how cool is that? On your so, vacation? Like, yes, yeah, bring him yes, down. To yes. the That's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, and of course, I have a recording of it. So I walk into high school. Hold and on, it, wait, hold on. Do you still have that recording? I do. Feels all right. Country 11 WMRL. It's 747. This is Al with you. Good evening, Portland. We're playing the best in country music. Here's the Charlie Daniels Band with their album Windows. Raging Cajun at Country 11 WMRL. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I walk into high school with the tape of me on the air let alone the tapes of me in the production studio. And, you know, I shared it with them. I said, this is what I want to do. And it wasn't much longer after that that I'm in the office recording myself every day. So, And he was having you record famous speeches, different things? Yeah, all sorts of inspirational speeches, talks, a, a wide variety of things along that line. Interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting. So. Well, I mean, amazing training. Yet again, another opportunity of mentoring. Yes. You know, people taking you under their wing, noticing this passion. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Okay, so let's fast forward. We got NPR happening. I love the idea that they sort of teach you that programming. That's a huge download, a huge step forward. Now, take me into the professional world. So what happens next? You come out of high school. That's that's crazy. You know, <laughs> the um, working radio guy. Two weeks before I graduated from high school, I was hired at the competitor Top 40 station Ooh. from the one I was hanging out at. And there was a part of me that, of course, was thrilled to death. There was a part of me that was very sad in that I couldn't work at the station that I had been hanging out with. And over the years that I was hanging out there from grade school all through high school. So we've got six-ish years at least. I saw DJs come and go, revolving door. But I almost always knew someone. And it was very disappointing to not get to work at that station. But a competitor brought me aboard because one of the news people at the NPR station left to go do news at the Top 40. Sure. They needed a part-time DJ. Judy Thompson said, Harry, send your... Uh, actually, it wasn't Harry. Back then, I had a different oh, name. Okay. That's a whole other story. Well, all right. She said, Scott. <laughs> it was my name at the time. And I'll tell that quick story. They didn't want to pay for a Harry Leg jingle because they would have jingles that would sing the names of the DJs. Harry Leg, 92Q. Boom, you hit the next song. Sure. And I was just a kid. I was part-time. So they took two DJs that weren't there anymore. Took the reel-to-reel tape. They took Scott Miller, Jimmy James, hacked it, created Scott James, said, all right, you're going to be Scott James. I'm a kid. I'm like, uh, uh, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to be Scott James. That's and crazy. That's what you did. So anyway, <laughs> she's like, Scott, we need a, a, you know, someone here. And so they started me Sunday nights, 7 to midnight on the Top 40 station. And I got quickly promoted to middays and then afternoon drive and production director. Wow. I spent about Whoa. three years there. But that was, I got hired two weeks before I graduated high school. So while all of my friends were going off to college, yeah. I was already in my career. But- your dream. I mean, this is what literally you were pursuing since you were 10. Yes. Or yeah. younger. Yeah, pretty much. It's amazing. Wow. Okay. So if I heard you correctly, that pathway was three years 
from Sunday night to program director? Uh, not program director, production. Production So I director. handled all the commercials, all the imaging, imaging uh, being an industry term. When you're listening to, and that's what I do a lot of in my voiceover career now, is imaging, VO. When you're listening to a radio station and you hear in between the songs, uh, the beat of New York, 103.5 KTU, or listen this weekend to win a trip to Vegas to see Kylie Minogue, that is called station imaging. Versus commercials, hey, it's a new Toyota for only $199, nah, totally different sort of thing. So, and that's what I did and handled. Wow. And so you're off and running. I mean, three years in here, you're a, a cornerstone, a backbone of the station now. Became that, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Learned to do personal appearances, yeah. hosted very briefly a local TV teen talent show, um, which, which I do not have video <laughs> of. You will not get that. Oh, oh. Luckily, anyway. it's an audio-only podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, yeah, so uh, that really set me up. But I didn't realize at the time, even though I saw a bunch of DJs come and go, it still didn't really register with me that I'd end up having to move all around the country to keep that career going. Right. Well, look, you were experiencing a lot of success right there in your neighborhood. Two top 40 stations, the NPR, you're rocking and rolling right there. Okay. Now, I want to give some context to our conversation. So currently as an imaging artist, as a VO talent, you're the voice of the NBC Sports Radio Network. You're on currently over 400 stations, not only nationwide, I mean globally. Yes. And you're currently doing imaging with your partnership with Benstown Branding. So that gets you all over the world. So before we go into that, I want to hear a little bit more about the current scope of your work. You end up working in eight different cities. So Bring me up to date. Let's keep going. Okay. Well, to explain why working in eight different cities, because a lot of people don't understand that, radio being a very specialized thing. So say you lose your job at a radio station, which you haven't been in the business until you've been fired. You've been fired multiple times. Not because you necessarily did anything wrong. There's management changes, ownership changes, format changes, mm -hmm. which you have no control of as an air personality. So if you lose your job, well, so say I'm doing afternoons at a station and I lose the job. Can I just go across the street to the competition and have afternoons? Well, no. I mean, how many air personality positions are on it? Maybe and there's no other shift open at all. And also because you've been on the competition, that may be a reason why they do or don't want you. It, that can go either way. So in order to stay employed in the business, you end up moving to another city. Now, there's two sides to that. One is... You're moving to another city because you need a job. You've just lost yours due to whatever. Or you want to move up in the business. Now, some people have that mentality. Some don't. And how that's moving up is the larger the city you're in, the more revenue there is. And the reason for that, there's a couple reasons. One, you're talking to more people. How many people am I talking to in Cleveland, Ohio versus Chicago, for example? Mm -hmm. One million versus seven million, around about. And so that means if you're an advertiser, say a big national advertiser, we'll, uh, we'll just say Home Depot, okay. just to pull one. How much money are they going to spend advertising in Cleveland versus how much they'll spend in New York City, where they're going to reach 14 or 18 million people? A whole bunch more. Sure. Now, aside from 
maybe real estate costs more or whatever. In general, the costs of running a station, the equipment costs the same in Cleveland as it does in New York. It's still a $30,000 control board. But you have all this additional revenue because you have a wider, larger audience. So if you're a personality that wants to move up in the biz, you may not want to stay in the smaller cities in America. You want to get to the big ones. You want to be in a Philly or a Miami or a Boston or a Chicago, L.A., New York, and, and so on. Big markets. Yeah, versus, and not to pick on anyone, but versus, oh, I'm in Boise, Idaho. Okay, cool. Yeah. And some people are massively happy there and don't want to deal with a big city. But it's whatever your career aspirations are. Right. So my moves were a combination of, oh, I just got to let go, another management change or ownership change. I need to pick a job somewhere. Oh, boy. Or, oh, there's an opportunity right. to go from one place to another. And the larger markets inherently support larger personalities, right? Yes and no. Uh, one of the largest situations I was in in a smaller market was Rochester, New York. Okay. I worked at a station called WCMF, which at the time had a morning personality, Brother Wheeze, who's still on the air in that market. Uh, he's with another company now. But for many, many, many years, he dominated Rochester, New York, like nobody's business. Like I'm Fact, thinking like Charles Laquadera at BCN in Boston, like a fixture. Yeah, 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 a fixture. But this man was enormous. Wow. In fact, you, when I first moved to the market and I would be in a, a grocery store parking lot or a mall parking lot, car after car after car had a Wheeze bumper sticker on it. <laughs> and he was so big that it didn't even say the name of the station. It just said with a black background and yellow letters, Wheeze. That was it. The bus boards, just wheeze. That's how big he was. Wow. So I was hired at this station to be the production director. They had three stations. They had the rock station, WCMF. They had a, an AC station, a very, back in the day, Lionel Richie, you know, that sort of thing, soft. And they had a, an AM station, a very small station that I think uh, had sports on it. So I handled the commercials and imaging for those stations. But they also made me a bit player on his morning show. And his morning show isn't one where you really play much music. The mics are open live. It's entertainment. He's taking phone calls. He's got a regular cast of characters. And he developed a family. You listen to Brother Wee's for any length of time at all, you feel like you know him and everyone on his show. Wow. So you are living your life on the air there. And mind you, I had been the afternoon drive star on, you know, like the station in Cleveland. Yeah. I'm a bit player on the Brother Wee's Morning Circus. Everywhere I went in Rochester, I was like massive celebrity because I was on that show, even though I was a small, small part Describe of it. Describe that. Paint that picture. What does that mean, massive celebrity? Explain that. Personal appearance fees. Everywhere you go, oh my gosh, I listen to you. Oh, you're with Brother Wee's. Tell me about blah, blah, blah. Versus if you're a DJ on the air at a station and you're playing music, think of the difference between being allowed to be a real personality in more of a talk format versus the guy that's just talking over ramps of records. Hey, we're doing 10 songs in a row. It's Harry Legg. Here's the latest from Matchbox 20. And, and maybe you can fit in a, a funky comment or cool joke or something. But versus just the mics are on and we're talking and we're whatever's going on. Yeah. And so my bit player on that show was being the news guy because I did have some news background, but it wasn't formal news. I'd start reading a story and Weez would interrupt, oh, that's messed up, brah, what? And then he'd take a phone call and start talking and it's like, hey, what happened to my newscast? But that was part of the fun of it yeah, as well. Sure. And then I got to chime in and say things. So while I'm on this topic of being on the Brother Weez show, okay, wow. 
I told the story of becoming Scott James for seven years of my career. I worked in Cleveland at another station after the original Top 40 station. I went to a new competitor, and then I moved to Columbus, Ohio for two years, where I was Scott James on a Top 40-type station there. Then I got the offer to go to Rochester, New York. It's funny because I went from Cleveland to Columbus and then to Rochester. That's three moves down market-wise, size uh, of cities. However, this station was number one by miles. And so when you're at the number one station, even in a smaller market, I made more money in Rochester than I made in right. Cleveland or Columbus. Right, interesting. we kicked butt there. Yeah, they owned it. So yeah. anyway, so I'm on the air with Brother Weeze one day. As Not Harry. A, as Scott James. Okay, as Scott. Because I moved from Columbus to Rochester. I'm Scott James. I'd had it for seven years. I'd had a mobile DJ business doing weddings and bar mitzvahs, Scott James Entertainment yeah. in Cleveland. You built you know. this brand. So, yeah. yeah. So I get to Rochester. It didn't even dawn on me to change names. Just didn't. I was Scott James at that point. We're live on the air, and he goes, brah, because that's kind of how we talked. Uh, Show me your driver's license. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> so I get it out, and he goes, what the heck? You've got the best name in the world. What's with this stupid, generic Scott James radio name? <laughs> so I have to tell the story of how it came yeah. about. On it. And he goes, <laughs> and so he talks about, who who did that to you? And, uh, well, he's my <laughs> program director there. What an idiot. Can we call him? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so anyway, he goes, from now on, you're a hairy leg. And he did me a favor, obviously. That's fascinating. Yeah, so that's how, how that How did he know? What? Why did he pull the drive? Oh, somebody it was said just a something, bit or something or? somebody knew or found out my real name and or teed whatever. it up. Yeah, oh, exactly. Man, that's funny. <laughs> and you didn't see it coming. You no, I had no oh, idea. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so there you go. Now you're off, off and running as Harry Leg. Yes. Yeah. Which, of course, I'll share with you. You know, when I bring you up in conversation to my friends and colleagues, I'll say, "Oh, you got to meet Harry." Great voiceover artist, you know, really great guy, Harry Leg, and they'll say, "Oh, that's his stage name." That what a great name. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, because you know, back in the day with phone books and stuff versus now, people would use fake names on the air so that they were oh, sure. harassed. But beauty is, people would think Harry Leg's fake, and they wouldn't even think to look that up. <laughs> so skirted that right issue. out the gate. Yeah, yeah exactly. you're, you're good. I wanted to make sure to touch on a topic: the difference. And we're not done with your career path yet, but before I forget, can you tell me about how the radio business has changed? That could be a podcast unto itself, right? But even in layman's terms, because you have a particular point of view, I mean, you've been through it over the last, what, 30 Mm -hmm. years? Something like that. Whatever, I don't don't know. So if you're talking about the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s. Right, and 2010s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Okay, well, I will first give a disclaimer. It's very hard to do this and not sound like you're negative. Okay, I make my career right now is still primarily being the voice of radio stations. So love radio. However, as far as working at an actual station, it all happened during consolidation, Hmm. the Telecommunications Act. And when you had every station being owned by an individual owner, there was a lot of autonomy at the local level. Radio is an art form. Everything that goes into it that listeners don't pay attention to 
or don't understand, yet if it's wrong, they notice, but they can't tell you why. So, for example, if you're playing the exact same songs, as happens in every market, you know, maybe there's a little variance. One station plays maybe a little more rhythmic, one's a little more rock, but there's so much music that both play. Everyone's playing, I don't know, Matchbox 20 is an example, regardless of format, mostly. What makes the difference? Besides things like signal quality and does your station come in, that, we don't even get into that. What makes the difference? The difference are the personalities. Mm -hmm. The difference is the imaging in between the records. Okay. Which so, you have a lot to do with these days. Yes. So talking about imaging, the silly things that, you know, what's, what's the basic imaging statement? Today's best music, Z93. Okay, fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You got to give your slogan and, and what you're doing. But then is there room for fun stuff? So when I was the voice and the creative director of KTU in New York City, I did fun stuff like the squirrels in Central Park are shaking their nuts to 103.5 KTU, boom, and into the next song. You know, so can you do fun stuff like that? That makes a difference. Are the personalities allowed to really be personalities? Or do they just get to crack the mic? And, and I don't want to pick on any particular station, so this is random. Uh, B98.5, we're playing 10 songs in a row. Here's the latest from Justin Bieber. Okay. Uh, fine, there are breaks that are going to be like that. But do you let your personalities ever grow? Do they get to do funny phone bits? Are those stations now broadcasting live from the Friday night high school football games and meeting people out in the public? Or is it all, as I like to say, prostituted for the sales staff? It's not a nice thing to say, but the live remotes are, yeah, we're at the U.S. Cellular Store. Come on by and spin the prize wheel. Eh, yeah, you need to have client stuff and make money. Yes, of course, we want our salaries. But do you really do stuff that serves the listeners and creates an emotional, loyal bond? There's very little of that now. You have it with morning shows. You can have it with, in, if in the New York market, and these and others, you'll have it with an Elvis Duran. You'll have it with a Howard Stern. You'll have it with big personalities like that. But your average personalities around the clock, nobody kind of knows who they are anymore. It's supply and demand. With consolidation, there's no demand for that localization. They're just piping in the content. The example you're using, broadcasting live from the Friday Night Lights, right, or something like that, that's very local. That's very boots on the ground. Yes. Whereas the technology has stepped in, and this is a question. Tell me if I'm explaining this right, right? The technology has stepped in to where we're essentially beaming down the content and it's just disseminating out from one central place. And yeah, maybe you might get a jock on the air to go spot something, but you know, we have all experienced this situation where you're driving in the car and an artist, a song comes on, you say, oh, I don't like that. And you flip the station and the same song is on the next station. <laughs> and I saw it in my hometown. Growing up, my local news and weather and sports scores and that local station one day, all the DJs were gone. Right. And it was just one person managing the house and satellite beaming in all the content. And there was no one spinning platters anymore, no one carting. So the programming being delivered nationally or via satellite, whether it's satellite or not or another yeah, technology. Yeah. yeah, there is some of that. But what it comes down to more, like all the stations in New York City, right. the music is on their local hard drives. The DJs are hitting it locally. Sure. But as you get throughout 
America and the smaller markets, you get a lot of voice tracking. Because of the ratings methodology, everyone runs scared and wants to CYA. So they're like, just keep your mouth shut, play the music, get in and out, don't have fun with phone bits and things like that that really bring about personality. So even though they may have a staff of DJs or a skeleton staff of DJs, right. and you know it's the overnights where you don't hear one or whatever, they're still telling them to shut the heck up. As far as the Friday night lights thing, like yeah, live from yeah, a high school, yeah. they don't have the staff yeah. to do those things anymore. It's been cut to the bare bone and then some. Yeah, and, and that's, that's not that's how the, the advertising is working anyway. Right. Yeah. So that's not where they're deriving their money. Yeah. Now, now you could make a case for local advertisement and sponsorships of those Friday night broadcasts. Right, sure. But you've got to have the staff to do it. Um, I also see, even here in New York, the intern kids, the promotion kids, where you get your start in the business frequently. One minute, they're out at a promotion for one station. And then the next day, those same kids, the same team are out for another station in that cluster. That would have been a huge no-no back in the day. When I was in New York radio, there was a, a national commercial that I voiced, and I was on 103.5 KTU. Well, it went to our sister station, Z100. Well, I got a call from Z100 have a conniption that my voice is on a spot on their station. So they made me give a mix out of the spot so that they could voice it themselves. Sure. Okay, fine, I get it, but that is not the case anymore. Now, <laughs> this person's no longer there. There was someone doing nights on KTU that was also doing a weekend air shift on Z100. Wait a minute, I thought you couldn't have my voice. But now you've got a DJ? That's how unimportant they have made the everyday air personality in this business. Now, again, it sounds like I'm getting all negative. I'm just no. showing the reality. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what it's come to because all these companies are with private equity firms and they're in debt to the hilt and they're doing everything they can from the bean counter perspective, not understanding at the bean counter level that the art is being stripped from it, which will harm your product. And that's what's going on. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. In a way, you and I can sit here and produce this podcast. And you know what? There's a fifth grader down the road, probably, doing this himself, herself. Yes. Doing YouTube videos or things that, like that. And that's sort. what yes. it is. Hey, look, I have a 12 year old boy, Alex, and yes. I go home last night and he made a kind of his own video edit and mashup of a Taylor Swift video. And first thing I did when I came in, Dad, you got to see this. And it's awesome. How you cool know? is that? Yeah. And it's another way to use your creativity. And again, it's that same through line of he's in seventh grade going on eighth and he's exercising that muscle like you were mm -hmm. in that room reading the inspirational text. Yeah. So it's all connected and yet it all changes. So speaking of technology and change, so you do a lot of work with Benstown Branding. Yes. And I'd like to hear what you do with them, but also please tell me about your voice being international. Okay. And then how you reach that kind of audience. So I'll start with how the voice became international. I was fortunate to be 
The Voice and the creative director at WKTU in New York, which is a legendary, world-renowned station. Sure. Back in the day when I was on that station from 2003 to 2007, it was still a dance station. Versus now, the format has become more homogenized to match other stations around the nation. It's a rhythmic CHR would be the term, rhythmic top 40. Back in the day when I was there, and this is not me poking digs at my old station right now, but it is what it is. Back in the day, we were so proud that you could not pick KTU up hypothetically and drop it in another city in the U.S. and have it work. We were so New York-centric. Right. Musically, personality-wise, we have personalities on the air with the New York and Jersey accents and stuff. You can't drop that in St. Louis. So anyway, being the voice of that station, I was kind of on a worldwide stage as far as the radio industry is concerned. And because you can listen to stations on the Internet all around the world, even back in 2003 through 2007, the technology was there, people would listen to KTU elsewhere for inspiration or just to hear what's going on in New York City. American radio's always been loved overseas. They look at us for entertainment. It's one of our greatest exports. Sure, of course. So I would do the same. I had, you know, some downtime in the studio in between productions, and I would listen to some of the bigger, cooler stations around the world. I was listening to a station in Sydney, Australia. They're equivalent to maybe Z100 New York, called Today FM. And I heard a promo on the station that just blew my socks off. I'm like, wow, the wizardry and the production was cool. The writing was awesome. I want to know who did that and whatever. And so, because I could, they didn't care. I made an international call to (laughs) Sydney, Australia, to Today (laughs) FM. (laughs) And um, I got the guy's voicemail. And I just said, hey, you don't know me. My name's Harry. I'm at KTU in New York. I'm listening online. I was blown away and just want to say hello and and whatever. And and here's how to reach me if you ever want to. He wrote back to me and we started a dialogue. And out of nowhere at one point, hey, mate, uh, what would you charge to voice a promo for us? We'd like an American voice for something. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, how cool. I voice some promos for Today FM in Sydney, Australia. Turns out, this is where consolidation was good for me, they own 12 stations in 12 markets around Australia. And it ends up where... After time goes on, I'm on another of their stations, another of their stations. Before you know it, I'm on in 12 cities in Australia. Just through that interaction. Super cool. Yeah. Now, can you tell me when they hire you to do this? Yes. Are you now producing that in New York and then shipping it out to them? You know, well, I, I don't produce it. It's the voice talent. You just right. read their scripts, so you're send reading, it to them, sending it, they and it they're, they're doing the production. Boom. Yes, Got yes exactly. Okay. And then they send it back to me, produce, so I can hear it. And I use yeah. it on my demos. And I'm like, whoa, that sounds cool. Yeah. So from there, just like people in the industry would look to KTU New York, people in the industry elsewhere in the world would look to Today FM in Australia, in Sydney. So I ended up in Sri Lanka. I ended up in Malta. I had, I just, I, and on and on and on. So getting to Benstown, yeah. which is now the world's largest radio production music, imaging, and voiceover service. Wow. We started from scratch about 10 years ago. The CEO of Benstown is in Stuttgart, Germany. Right. He was listening online to Today FM in Sydney, Australia and wondered who that American voice guy was there. He liked what he heard, and we're starting this company, and we need our first voice. So he puts this together, that there's an American voice on the Australian Yes, station. but he didn't know who I was. No, but this stands out to him. Yes. Yeah. So he was partnering the president of the company, a guy named Dave Dennis, who I happened to work with when I worked at KISS FM in Los Angeles. 
he is no longer there due to the crap that happens well, in the industry. Yeah, he yeah. lost his gig, sure. and now he's being an entrepreneur and has this great idea to start this company, and he's partnered with this guy, Andy, in Stuttgart, Germany. And Andy plays for him over the phone this voice. And he goes, do you know who this is? He's like, oh, my gosh, I worked with that guy. Yeah, That's Harry. Harry. He's in New York now. <laughs> so I get this call from Dave in L.A. Harry, we're starting, yes, from Sydney yeah. to Stuttgart oh to L.A., God. back to me in New York. And that is how I got involved with Benstown. So the company was just beginning back then. Yeah. They didn't have any money. We are all believing in each other. Sure. And we all know we're all good at what we do. So I put in a bunch of sweat equity to get the company going. Cool. And that's how I became a partner in ownership of the company, and we've grown it to serve, I don't know what the amount is, I don't want to misquote, but it's well over a thousand stations around the world. We provide music beds to sound effects, creative writing, mm -hmm. commercials, voiceover talent. And we have a unique model that at the time when we started it, nobody else was doing. So I have to briefly explain how this sure, works. It's yeah. called barter. And at first, people are like, what? Barter? What, you want me to give you a sandwich to voice for me? <laughs> no, no. So when you listen to the radio and you hear, here's a good example. You hear a station giving away a car. Listen to win, sign up, and, you know. Sure. Well, the station did not give the dealer $30,000 to buy that car. Right. They're bartering it. They're running commercials for that dollar amount to have the car from yep. the client. And that, that is would drive listenership. And that's yes, it's good for both parties yeah, sure. if the deal is structured properly. So barter would be, hey, you want a major market voiceover talent on your station, but maybe you don't have the cash. Guess what? You could run some commercials in order to get our service. Do you want sound effects? Do you want music? Do you want a voiceover talent? Uh. We'll barter it. And so you partner with a company that will put all the national advertisers on stations. They collect the money, get their cut, send a check to Benstown. Benstown gets its cut. Then they send the check to the talent. And that's how you can get business from radio stations, especially nowadays, that don't have the budget. Yeah. They have to have the commercial inventory and be willing to give it up. So right. there's that a part of the equation. Or you could do half cash, half barter, whatever. So that's how it works. And it was unique at the time. It's interesting. I mean, that model has popped up in other online markets, but it all starts with the need because these stations have the need. And again, it's supply and demand. Benstown has the ability to connect these parties, but also provide these high end elements. Yes. And so it's a win win. It's the one and one is three. It's fascinating. Okay, so we've covered your radio background and we just talked a lot about branding and, and voicing and imaging. Can you tell me about that transition from radio into voicing and VO work? Yes. So I was working in Chicago in radio and I got the opportunity to move to Los Angeles. And I said... Is that the KISS you mentioned? Yes. Okay. So when I was moving to L.A., I thought, awesome, I want to really do voiceover like at the big agency level. I've been on the radio for 20 years at that point or whatever it was. Yeah, and but I had, now you're going to L.A. Right. It's a huge market. And I'm like, yeah, it's New York or L.A. for, yeah. you know. And yes, you can live anywhere now with technology. But nonetheless, that's where the movie trailers are done and all the big stuff. And, and so I get to L.A. and I, out of the blue, just email a pretty prominent TV voiceover guy. He's not a household name, but in the industry we know him. And I just introduced myself and said, hey, um, I just moved here from Chicago. I've worked in radio for about 20 years, and I'd really like to get into the agency level voiceover side of things. Can you point me in the right direction? He writes me back a two or three sentence email 
that basically said, go take voiceover classes, kid. <laughs> Leave me alone. And, and at first, I'm really taken aback because I'm a successful radio guy. I, yeah, yeah. It's just, so I'm like, holy cow, I just came from Market 3, which is a radio guy. That's what you think. It doesn't mean anything in the voiceover world. Okay, yeah. I just came from Chicago, and now I'm in L.A., and he's telling me to take a voiceover class? What? Fortunately, I didn't totally let my ego get the best of me. Okay. And he made a recommendation of a particular voiceover coach. Okay. So I went to this guy's website. And on the website, he posed a bunch of questions to you, the potential VO student. Hmm. And each of those questions, I'm going, oh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that. I don't know. What? But, oh, we don't deal with that in radio. Huh. It's way different. Oh, yeah. In fact... If you want to be in the overall voiceover world, radio's a bad word. You don't want them to know you're a former radio DJ. And the reason for that is, and we'll have fun with this, and, and I'll be obnoxious about it to get the point across. So you've worked at a top 40 station all your life. LA's number one hit music station, 102.7 KISS FM. It's Harry Lang. We're doing 10 songs in a row, and I sound like this. Hey, ho, hey. Or you're at the classic rock station, man. It's get the lead out and I'm stoned, yeah. Or you're on the news station. I'm a news guy and I talk like this. We'll give you the world in however many minutes. And you've got these affectations yeah. to your voice. And these stereotypes were generally true. They are yeah. still true. Yeah. They, it's getting a little better. Right. But yeah, it's, it's part of it. So I had to have the radio sledgehammered out of me. Hmm. Now, it's still a big part of who I am. I can obviously turn it on in a heartbeat, use it to my advantage. Yeah. But if you want to do those slick agency ads for BMW or Lexus or Macy's or whatever, you cannot sound like a radio announcer. Hmm. You need to be an actor. So I, Interesting. Yes, yes. So another story, I have an agent. And this is back in the day before you would just send an MP3. You'd actually go to your agent's office. You would get your audition. You'd go in the lobby. You'd practice it, and then they'd call you in one at a time. So I'm sitting there. I worked at KTU in New York at the time. I'm sitting on a bench next to me with the same Subway Sandwiches script is the guy who played the lead role in a Broadway show I had just seen two weeks earlier. Yeah. I'm competing with him. Huh. So I had to learn to be an actor. And I had been on stage and all, but again, I was just spent 20-some years on the radio in a hyped situation talking over songs. So I had to have that blasted out of me. What, what was that path for you? Just summarize it for me. Was it hard? You know, what was the roughest part of it? You know, give me a little sense of that. Well, it's still a path. Your highest performing voiceover talents right now still have coaches. Michael Jordan had a coach. Why is it different oh, for what right, we're doing? Right. Trends change. You might start to get a little crutch that you're not aware of or a particular sound. Mm. You want to stay up with things. You want to keep developing as an artist and a performer. There's always more to learn. So I still take voiceover coaching to this day. And the biggest uh. talents still do. So if you want to get into this business, you need to be an actor. You need to get coaching. And it has very little to do with people, when they think of voice coaching, they think that like you're going to learn to use your voice. Yeah, it's part of it. It's more learning how to interpret scripts, mm -hmm. inflection, bringing words to life behind a microphone. And frankly, being aware of the radio voice. For me, because I have that. And it started there. 
being for aware. me it did, yes. Yeah. Now, for a Broadway actor type who's never mm. been on the radio, yeah. their advantage is they already know how to bring words to life, how to act, although they may project too much because they're used <laughs> to being on stage. So their advantage is that. They've got mm. a lot of acting training, maybe improv training, which is phenomenal for, mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. But you put a mic in front of their face and put headphones on them and put them in a fishbowl yeah. of a studio, sure. you know, with everyone staring at you through the glass, directing you, and they're not used to that. And they may not have the technical side that a radio person has, where you can go into the computer and edit yourself and whip off the input. What, what do you want, a 128, 320, 44.1, 48K? Right, would you have not, all of that? Yeah, they may yeah. not know any of that because they're an actor. They're not a technical producer. So they have to learn that side of it. You'll also find the Broadway actors many times, although there are exceptions, aren't going to be the guys that will excel in promo. They're not the ones going to be going, you know, this is CNN or today on the NBC Sports Radio Network because they don't have that sound. Right. But you want them to read a cell phone commercial and they sound like the real mom or the real dad, you know. Right. It's a character. Yes, yeah. exactly. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for part two of the conversation. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>